You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, well, happy Thanksgiving week. I love this week. Hopefully a lot of you gals maybe have either the time off of work, maybe you're listening to this podcast while you're getting some baking done or cleaning, just, you know, as a little tangent here, if that is you, and if the little stressful monkeys are starting to, you know, starting to poke at you about all of the things you need to frantically do to get everything ready for the picture perfect Thanksgiving, I'm just going to tell you right now, check that. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not about perfection. Remember the things that are important this week. So that's not what this podcast is about. But I always feel like I need to remind myself of that during the week of Thanksgiving in particular, if you are hosting or I don't know, it just seems like there's always so much that we add to our plate. And maybe some of it doesn't need to be added, right? So I always just need to those little reminders of remembering the things that are important this week. And that's kind of actually what I wanted to talk about today on the podcast, because I kind of went down a little bit of a, a, a history dive. So if you're a little bit of a history nerd, you might really like this episode. If you're really bored by history, well, maybe to X me and bear with me, but there might be some fun facts and hopefully a ton of scripture that will encourage you this week. So what is the deal with Thanksgiving? I'm sure in your house, it's probably not different than mine in that there is a very hotly debated question about whether or not you can put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. This is a hard and fast rule in my house. And I can't say that I have a whole ton of conviction about it because I kind of get really excited about Christmas and I would be decorating early probably. But for my husband, this is a major no-no. So absolutely an honoring to him. We do not We do not crack open any Christmas boxes. In fact, gals, we can't even play Christmas music this week. Nope. Now we can play it literally when we are washing dishes after Thanksgiving dinner, then it's okay. But we cannot prior to that. So lest you think my husband is just, you know, a terrible Christmas ogre and just doesn't like to, he's just Scrooge and bah humbug. No, that is definitely not. He loves Christmas. What he also loves, though, is Thanksgiving. And I think rightly, he's, you know, we we joke about it and, you know, he'll jump in my car and I'll have a Christmas song on the week of Thanksgiving. And he's like, no, and, you know, turns it off real quickly. And so we joke and we laugh about it. But I actually really appreciate this about Chris because he his purpose in it is not, yeah, it is some of the commercialization and all that kind of stuff that just seems to seep in earlier and earlier. I mean, pretty much Halloween wraps up and then you've got you've got Christmas everywhere. You probably have Christmas decorations in store even before then. I don't know. I, I'm doing so much shopping online these days, I hardly notice. But it just seems to come earlier and earlier because there is this commercialization of our holiday seasons in general. But in our house, in the McReynolds house, what gets Chris is that there is this forgetting of Thanksgiving. And for him, he really likes this to be a very separate holiday because of the purpose of it. It's there for us to actually be thankful And I don't know, as I kind of started going down this little trail for this this episode this week, I have to say, I was sort of like, you know, hon, I think you're onto something here. And I think maybe we need to think back to some of the roots about Thanksgiving. That isn't to say you can't have a really awesome Thanksgiving dinner with a Christmas tree in the background. No, I don't think it says that either. If that works in your household, go for it. But 
I do think it's important for us to remember what Thanksgiving is a little bit. Okay, we've talked about that. If you were following along with us in the prayer study, the So Let It Be prayer study that we wrapped up with Athe Women, we we spent some time just focusing on Thanksgiving and the importance of that and and just thanking the Lord for all the things that he's given. It's a very biblical principle for us to be thankful for what the Lord's given us. But the roots of this particular holiday actually do stem to a very biblical premise, but you sure wouldn't know it today, right? So I wanted to just kind of look at some of the things and remind us of why we have this Thursday where we, you know, have family and friends over or we go to people's houses and why why do we get all together and you know what is what is the deal is it just it just another holiday is it just another excuse to eat some really yummy food and have homemade rolls and pie and all of that stuff or is there more to it and i think as all of us as americans we kind of glaze over the the deeper meanings a lot of times. And we just kind of get to the the surfacey, the checklist stuff that's got to get done, but we can kind of neglect some of the stuff that's on the bottom. So I want to look at some of the things about Thanksgiving, but particularly before we really even get into some of the history and and some of this, you guys are going to know it's, it's not as Americans, it's not like this isn't stuff that isn't things that were taught. However, I am learning that over the years, it really should not, we need to not take for granted this important history. And our kids actually in some places in the country are not taught these things. And that's why, you know, school, whether you go public or private or homeschool, either way, whatever thing, even if you're not homeschooling, you know, I, I don't homeschool my kiddos. I still have homeschool. We are all called. If you have kids that you, that the Lord has blessed you with, you're charged with bringing them up in the honor, the admonition of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. That's called homeschool in some ways, you know? So regardless of if they actually go to a school, you still have a job. We still have a job to, in order to teach our kids right history and biblical principles. And and we having been blessed to be in America and have the foundation of very biblical roots, boy, that's something that is getting lost and forgotten that that is actually where we come from. And I think we need to be reminded. And I'll, I'll even say, as I was reading some of this history, I was like, I know that I learned some of this stuff, but I kind of forgot. So I think it was a good reminder for me to also look at these things and just be reminded. So where the idea for this came from, I want to start with this, you know, back, I think it was after we finished the Esther study. And I had this dear lady come up after the study. And she had heard me say that our next Athe Women's study was going to be on prayer. And she had brought me this copy. And I, I believe it was just from her shelf. I, I can't, I, I'm not totally sure where she acquired it. But it was just, I love antique books, first of all, love old books, okay. And she found this book, and she gave it to me. And it is a copy of prayers that were offered by the chaplain, Reverend Peter Marshall, at the opening of the daily sessions of the Senate of the US back in 1947 through 1949. So it's this little booklet that has a couple years of the prayers that were given before the Senate would start their work every day. And I I love this idea, right? Where did this even in 1947, guys, which I know seems like a you know, forever ago, but you know, considering our our country's founding, it's it's, you know, relatively newer history, I suppose. But for those of us in 2023, okay, that's over 100 years ago. 
and the ways in which they prayed. Now, I loved this little book because the the prayers are not always super long. Some of them are, you know, a couple sentences. Some of them might be a paragraph. But I just found it interesting that all the way back, our country, and, and they were doing this far before 1947. This just happens to be the book that I have. But I, I loved flipping through this book. Now, I will say, I'm going to read you a couple of these just because I think they're amazing. There's a lot of King Jimmy language. So you're going to hear a lot of these and thous and dusts and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, bear with me on that. But I think it's okay, actually, for us to hear and kind of even get used to reading language that's a little more challenging for our brains to hang on to. I think that's something in our day of fast paced Instagram and social media and headlines that, you know, just come in like one succinct sentence or something. We've kind of, I think our brains are getting a little lazy, actually, because when I went back and read this, you have to pause, you have to slow down. It's kind of like reading the King James Bible. When you read the King James version versus, you know, maybe your ESV or one of the more modern translations, you got to slow down a little bit. And, And so that's what this was like. But a couple of these were so I just wanted to read you guys a couple of these prayers that are in here from 1947. This was a really brief one on February 2nd of 1948, actually. So like I said, this is from 1947 to 1949. But in 1948, the chaplain prayed this, Lord, we are finding that without thee, we can do nothing. Let not foolish pride or stubborn will keep us from confessing it. Help us, O Lord, when we want to do the right thing, but know not what it is, but help us most when we know perfectly well what we ought to do and do not want to do it. Have mercy on us, Lord, and help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Wow, that is a powerful, brief, but very powerful prayer. You, you read that and you can hear the scripture in it, can't you? I mean, you can, you can hear the things about us confessing our sins, acknowledging that sometimes we don't want to do the right thing that we know we should do. Paul echoes those words, right? So there, it, it's just such a, it's such a biblical prayer. It's, it's short, but it's humble. And I think it was just so refreshing to read these and, and think about what these senators, what these statesmen what they were hearing before they would go about their work for the day. And they were hearing prayers like this every single morning. One more that was in 1947, he prayed, Oh God, our father in whom is our trust, thou alone dost know the end from the beginning. And we, thy children must needs walk by faith. We are anxious about the consequences of what we do. May that concern restrain us in our private lives as it does in our public duty. In our troubled minds, there is confusion and honest perplexity but we know there is no confusion with thee. Wilt thou guide us that we may do what is right, and if we suffer for it, we shall be blessed. This we ask in Christ's name, who was crucified, having done nothing amiss. Amen. You know, again, I I love reading that because it's not super long, but you can hear the scripture in it, can't you? I don't know. I've never read a biography on Peter Marshall. Maybe I should, but you sense the richness of his own spiritual walk through reading these prayers. So then I was just a little curious. I'm looking at, and I just picked out the year 1947. So the, what is the country going through in 1947, which is kind of the backdrop to when these prayers would have been prayed and the things that the, the legislators would have been working on and the challenges that they faced with, what did America look like back in 1947? So in 1947, that's when the Cold War began. That's when the Marshall Plan, which if your history is a little rough, yes, I had to Google that one again to remind myself, the Marshall Plan 
was when they went and were helping to rebuild Europe after World War II. I mean, Europe had been basically just destroyed because of the bombing and all of the things that were entailed with the war. And it had been so widespread. The destruction was was just huge. And so the United States instituted a plan that at the end of the time of all of the money and the effort that they gave by the U.S., it totaled $12 billion, which in 1947 dollars, I can't even imagine what that must have been like in our dollars. I mean, we hear billion all the time now because of aid to Ukraine and other places. So it's I feel like sometimes we lose actually what that number even really means. I can't even really comprehend what a billion is. But back then, they certainly, I mean, 12 billion was huge. So the legislators, the Senate would have been going through, you know, obviously a lot of financial issues that were going on. Just other fun facts from 1947. This was the year that Henry Ford died and left $600 million in inheritance to be passed on. This was the first year it was post World War II. And so it was the first time Americans could buy a new car since the war had began. An antibiotic for typhus was put out for the first time. A couple entertainment things. Miracle on 34th Street came out in 1947. The Diary of Anne Frank and Gals, the very first food processor, came out in 1947. Are we so thankful? Bread cost 13 cents back in 1947. And this is also about the time, and like I said, it extends even further on, but this is where the House Committee on Un-American Activities started beginning their investigations anywhere in America, but particularly looking for the links between Hollywood and ties to communism. So it's kind of when we start that Red Scare period in, in American history and the rise of communism and Marxism overall began really during that time. So I just give us some fun facts because first of all, I just... I think they're kind of fun. But then also to kind of give us some backdrop, because we can forget what other people faced in different periods of time. And then to think about how did that affect the country spiritually? Now, we certainly can't go back to 1947 and just go, oh, well, you know, all Americans were Christians and all, you can't do that. I can look at Reverend Peter Marshall here, though, and I can go, wow, even in the midst of a country that was just they're facing the, the beginnings of the Cold War, all of the newness and the scariness probably of what that was going to mean, their world was kind of changing. And I'm sure things felt incredibly shaky, uncertain, and, and especially as I read more of those prayers and I won't read all of them, but there's so much that you can tell. They're just kind of searching like, Lord, show us what is right to do. And you can sense their uncertainty in the days that they're facing. Now, I, I bring that up because that's sort of what launched me on this podcast, to think about prayer historically in our country, to think about these folks back in 1947 and other years when other chaplains of the Senate have prayed their prayers for the legislative body, but also for the country itself, that we are to be, as Christians, we're supposed to be people who pray. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. You know, Romans 13, that's where it tells us that we are to be subject to the governing authorities, right? They're placed there by God, that no, no authority, it says, exists except from God. And that sometimes we can forget that was not written when there was an amazing godly governing authority. Far from it. When Paul is writing the letter there in Romans, the leader was Nero. I mean, that dude was crazy town. You want to read some really scary history, read about the stuff that guy did. Read about the stuff he did to his own family and to especially Christians. He was horrible. And yet, Scripture tells us that 
God knows that those rulers are there. So what should we do about that? Knowing that scripture tells us that we are to be submitted to the governing authorities, well, then I think it would behoove us for sure to be praying for our leaders. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Amazing. Okay. Then there's a comma to make sure we're clarifying what do we mean by all people? For kings, it says in verse two, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I love that little parenthetical almost that it puts in there in First Timothy 2, where it says for kings and all who are in high positions, because sometimes we can probably think, oh, man, th- those those people in government, they're too far gone. No, no, we don't we don't need to pray for that. We can get on board with this last part, try to leave a peaceful and quiet life. But I'm not so sure about that middle section. And that's why I, you know, every word of scripture is God breathes, it is authoritative, it's useful for teaching and instruction. And, and it's reminding us there, hey, don't forget to pray for the kings and those are in high positions. And that high positions, take that as broadly as you want. Who is in authority over you right now? It could be a boss that you are under authority of right now. Be praying. It could be as we're supposed to be, if we're married, if we're supposed to be submitted, we are supposed to be submitted to our spouse, right? Pray for your spouse, pray for your church leaders, pray for the mayor of your city, pray pray for your house of representatives in DC, but also where you are in your state government as well. Pray for them. So I think it's important that scripture highlights, don't forget them. It can be really easy in our intercessions when we're praying and we are interceding for those that are immediately around us, you know, the ones that we see, the hurts and the needs, and that's really important. But I do think it's important that scripture also tells us, don't forget to pray for the kings and those who are in high positions. Now, the other thing, and I want to read these next couple verses also in 1 Timothy 2, because it goes on to highlight the importance of to what end we pray. You know, are we just praying for these kings and people in high positions that they just, you know, live lovely, blessed lives? No, that's not really the prayer. It goes on in verse three of First Timothy two to say, this is good, meaning praying for all these things that we just talked about. This is good. And it is pleasing the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So the point, the end to which we are praying for all people, and then that highlight for kings and all who are in high positions, is a gospel message there, that they would all be saved, that they would all come to the knowledge of the truth, it says, that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus. That's kind of the point. That's what we're actually praying for. And I, you know, I have to say, I, I think we need to meditate on that a little bit because often our prayers, I know mine, get very focused on praying for the change in a particular issue. And while I think we can also pray for that, I don't want us to neglect the gospel-centric way in which we're to pray. And truly the prayer, whether we're praying for your neighbor across the street, you're praying for someone in your own household, someone you work with, or you're praying for the president of the United States, is that they would come to the knowledge of the truth, that there's one God and one mediator, Jesus Christ. That's our point. So we're called to pray. We're called to pray for our leaders. And and there's so many great examples of 
prayer for even our nation as a whole. So now if I can broaden this a little bit beyond just just praying for specific leaders, there is also, we see in scripture, examples of praying for the nation, praying for our entire country. Now these, you see it in the Old Testament, we see things where how the Lord has his people, Israel, we see all the ways in which his people sadly disobeyed the Lord. And you see lots of scriptures that say, man, return, repent. You know, there's the Old Testament and the prophets are filled with scriptures that are telling the nation of Israel to come back to the Lord. And while I do always want us to be careful that we're taking scripture within context, make sure you realize that that the scriptures, when they're talking about the Jewish people, those are things for the Jewish people, for sure. Now, the substitution that some people like is they just like to slap the church onto all of those things. And I don't know if you can do that in every single one of those cases. So that's why I think it's important to read things very contextually and read the whole book of scripture. Now, we do know that by principle, because we as the New Testament church are grafted into the vine. You can read about that in John that and, and in Romans that we have been grafted into the vine, that we're part of the branch, it says in John 15. And so there is this promise that does extend even to us as Christians. So always just looking at things within context. But as we think about some of these verses I want to read, I think of the example in Daniel. You know, in Daniel prays, for his nation. And it says in Daniel 9, verse 3 through 6, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I want to pause there because you guys can just feel like the angst here, right? This is not just a little like, okay, Lord, please bless the people. And you know, it, it, it's not like he is, he's anguishing here for the people, his pleas for mercy, fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I mean, this is, this isn't light. This is a little heart wrenching here. And then he goes on in verse four and he says, I prayed to the Lord, my God and made confession saying, Oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who have spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So Daniel puts in there in Daniel 9 this, this prayer for repentance, really, for the nation. And it's interesting to me because Daniel says, we have sinned. We have acted wickedly rebelled. He's he's throwing himself in there. And and that's just such an interesting way in which he is really feeling the plight of the the destitution morally of his nation. Now, there's also a physical destitution of his nation because at this time they're in captivity, right? So he's feeling it on every level. But the way he prays for the state of his country. And I think sometimes I'll just, you know, I'll see the wickedness that's going on in our country and I'll, you, we can have this almost prideful notion of, well, good thing we're not sinners like them. And that's just not true. We all have sinned and fallen short. And, and I think that is what I love. One of the things I love here with Daniel is just his humility in recognizing that we all sin, that we have all rebelled and we all need to return to the Lord. 
the prophet Joel, he was kind of a definitely a, a return to the Lord kind of prophet. And I in uh, Joel 2, 12 through 13, he says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This is such a sweet passage because, but that little line in the middle that says, rend your hearts. Boy, I have to think sometimes, I'm not sure if our hearts have been rended to the point that the Lord would actually have us grieve over the sins of our nation, over our sins. And and there, there's just this element that we are to be people that recognize that we're sinners. We're to be people that recognize that we need repentance. And I'm not trying to make this like super doom and gloom. You're like, aim, I'm trying to do happy Thanksgiving things. But I think this is really important because it's like Pastor Brett always explains it as the dark backdrop that you need to be able to see your sin, to recognize where we are personally, where our families are, where our country is. And it, it goes on beyond where we are truly have an honest look at it. Because then you recognize how very much that we need Jesus, how very much we personally, our families, how important the gospel is. I think it then brings that in that first Timothy of making sure our prayers are focused to the end that everyone would come to the knowledge of Christ. That's the goal. But recognizing your sin is kind of where it starts because you kind of have to see how dark it is to know that you have a need for the light. And, and I, Daniel sees that, Joel sees that. I pray that you and I see that. So then this kind of brings me back to this topic of Thanksgiving, because you might be going, man, what in the world did repentance or any of that have to do with Thanksgiving and our history? Well, the thing that's cool is, as I was saying earlier, if you go back in our history and you kind of look at some of the first Thanksgivings and where it came from, you know, uh, the first time we had Thanksgiving all the way back in September of 1620 was when the pilgrims, they left Plymouth, England. And, and you know, they were in pursuit of, of religious freedom. I mean, that's truly why they left. It wasn't purely an economic reason or anything. They truly wanted freedom to worship according to what they would say, individual conscience and, and not just these traditional rote things that the church commanded, but they believed that our faith in Christ was an individual choice to recognize your sin, repent of your sin and accept the work of the cross to, to redeem us. And the Puritans really believed that so much so that they packed up and they completely left their country. Now, things I love about the Puritans, and if you're ever like, you know, I read you those few prayers where there was a lot of, you know, these and thou's and that kind of stuff. Well, if you want to even go a step further, go ahead and read some of the Puritan writings. There's a really cool book called The Valley of Vision that is a collection of Puritan prayers that they prayed. And they're just deep. I mean, they are deep prayers. I'll read you one here. And again, you're going to have to put your old King Jimmy ears on because there's a lot of, you know, these and thou's and all those kinds of things, but I think it's good for us. So, but this is a Puritan prayer that they would pray at year end. And this is one that was in that book. And it says, Oh, love beyond compare. Okay. That's what they're referring to God. Just FYI. Really cool. Oh, love beyond compare. Thou art good when thou givest, when thou takest away. When the sun shines upon me, when night gathers over me, thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world, and in love didst thou redeem my soul. Thou dost love me still, 
in spite of my hard heart in gratitude, distrust. Thy goodness has been with me during another year, leading me through a twisting wilderness in retreat, helping me to advance when beaten back, making sure headway. Thy goodness will be with me in the year ahead. I hoist sail and drop anchor with thee as the blessed pilot of my future as of my past. I bless thee that thou hast veiled my eyes to the waters ahead. If thou hast appointed storms of tribulation, thou wilt be with me in them. If I have to pass through tempests of persecution and temptation, I shall not drown. If I am to die, I shall see thy face the sooner. If a painful end is to be my lot, grant me grace that my faith fail not. If I am to be cast aside from the service of love or the service I love, I can make no stipulation. Only glorify thyself in me, whether in comfort or trial as a chosen vessel meet always for the, for thy use. That was just a sweet little prayer. Okay. Now this is where sometimes we hear really amazing, eloquent prayers and we're like, wow, I don't pray like that. So my prayer must not be effective. That's you're missing the point altogether. Even when you think about that, when we talked a little bit about rend your hearts, you know, and not your clothes, sometimes the words of our prayers, those can be the outward things, but what does the heart look like? And what I love about these Puritan prayers is I do feel like we can really hear the heart behind this person as they are praying. So they had eloquent prayers, but they had some deep and very just rich prayers. And again, kind of like what we were reading in a little bit more modern English with the chaplain in 1947, you can hear scripture in them, you know, and I think both of those things point to us and they're helpful for us to be a reminder of how important it is for us to be in scripture. You will find that your prayers will start to sound more like scripture just the more you're in it. You know, it's, it's difficult to pray something that you aren't rehearsing in your mind on a regular basis. And so it's just really important for us to be in the word and it helps us to be able to pray rightly because we know if we're praying scripture, we can pray things within accordance with his will. So back to the Puritans a little bit, you got examples of these really cool, deep, rich prayers. And these folks come over to our country. And this is when we start having in our history, the first Thanksgiving proclamations. Okay. So the first one that the Continental Congress did was in 1977. And this one is amazing. Okay. Samuel Adams authored this. So he's one of our fathers, founding fathers. And I always like to point out that Okay, this guy is a founding father because modern history is trying to tell us that our founding fathers weren't really Christians. You know, that's just been overplayed and all that. That is just an absolute lie. I really challenge, I, I don't even know how they come up with that stuff because when you read like these people's writings, it's remarkable. Even the people that we may consider the most irreligious, perhaps like Benjamin Franklin is considered to be far less religious than many of the founding fathers. And yet you read some of the things that he wrote. Wow. If that's the least religious, that's really impressive. So this idea that our founding fathers did not have a deeply rooted foundation in, in God as creator of all things and in scripture, it, it's just wrong. So Samuel Adams is one of these founding fathers. And what I thought was really funny about this is that he wrote this proclamation and it said that it was one sentence of 360 words. Okay. As an English major, that is really making my brain short circuit on what the grammar of that must 
be like. So I don't know. I'm not going to read all 360 words, but let me just read a little bit, you know, kind of some sections of this proclamation that he made Samuel Adams in the Continental Congress in 1977. And he said, for as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence to almighty God. Okay. In modern English, that's just saying it is our duty. It is our indispensable duty to give honor to the providence of almighty God, recognizing God right at the very beginning. The proclamation goes on to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to him for benefits received together with penitent confession of their sins. Okay, guys, this was like Congress talking about this, okay? Together with penitent confession of their sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor and their humble and earnest supplications that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance. It is therefore recommended to set apart Thursday, the 18th of December next for solemn thanksgiving and praise that with one heart and one voice, the good people may express the grateful feeling of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, acknowledging with gratitude their obligations to him for benefits received to prosper the means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom which consisteth in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Well, there you go. That's part of it. That's not all 360 words of the one sentence, which I still am just very curious how you did that. But that was the proclamation for one of the first Thanksgivings. You notice it was in December originally. Interesting, because it's kind of moved some dates around. It really was not until the 40s when Roosevelt, not Teddy Roosevelt, but FDR, he moved it up to the Thursday that we observe it at now. And I hate to tell you, it actually was done for commercial reasons. They wanted it to help with the Christmas season and some of that. So it, it was actually, from the history that I read, it appears that it was moved mostly for a for an economic slash commercialization of Christmas. So, but if you go back to the roots of Thanksgiving, there's some things that I highlight in there that are kind of a little different than what I think about with Thanksgiving. We think about Thanksgiving and the gathering of friends and family. And yes, Thanksgiving for all the things that we've been given, most definitely. But it's interesting to me that within these proclamations, this one with Samuel Adams, it says penitent confession of sins. See, there it is again. It's talking about that repentance part. It's talking about like what the Old Testament prophets, Daniel and Joel are recognizing that that we need to return to the Lord to repent of our sins. And Samuel Adams wasn't the only one. Then there, probably one of the most famous proclamations was given by George Washington. And that one was recorded, I believe, in 1789. And it's, again, another amazing proclamation of this holiday that is all about the Lord. I mean, not like, not like part. <laughs> it's all about the Lord. Here's what it said in George Washington's National Thanksgiving Address. He says, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly to implore his protection and favor. Whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and single favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them opportunity 
peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. That is giving a little bit of history, a little bit of backdrop of what's going on in the revolutionary time period, right? And they were also in their season of unrest, and they kind of felt like the ground was falling out from underneath them as well. But how different from our day in that you see his desire that that he's going to set aside this day for Thanksgiving, for what the Lord has delivered them from, that they are even able to establish this, this better government. But he said it's to be a day of Thanksgiving, of public Thanksgiving and prayer. He went on to say that I recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being, capital B, who is the beneficent author, both capitalized, of all the good that was, that is, or will be that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence in the course and conclusion of the late war. Again, he's recognizing he's offering his own thanksgiving to the Lord for delivering their nation, but he gives all the credit to the Lord that we would set aside this day, that it would be devoted to thanking God, the beneficent author for all the good that was, that is, and will be. You can kind of hear that George Washington also read his Bible. It's a great proclamation. You can read the whole thing, Google it online and, and read, the, read the entire thing. It's, it's definitely worth reading. But after George Washington, then, then probably the next one that is the most famous is the one that Lincoln did. And the things I thought was interesting about Lincoln, you know, again, that's a time when our country's going through all kinds of upheaval. They were uh, going through the Civil War, truly a awful time in our nation's history. And it was interesting when I was reading a little bit about Lincoln that he was not a Christian until he walked the graves of the soldiers in Gettysburg. And I, and I, maybe if I learned that I had forgotten, I don't know, but there, I read a quote and he was about to, he was giving his Gettysburg address. And so deeply moved by the sacrifice of the soldiers, Lincoln first committed his life to Christ while walking among the graves. He later explained that he said, when I left Springfield to become president, I asked the people to pray for me. I was not a Christian when I buried my son, the severest trial of my life, I was not a Christian. But when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. Interesting little testimony piece on Abraham Lincoln, who is going through unbelievable trial. You know, talk about when the needing the people of that day to be praying for their leaders. He had so much on his shoulders. All of those leaders did. But he then takes that time and he acknowledges the need to also have a day of thanksgiving, of prayer, of praise to the Lord. And he has a very famous proclamation of thanksgiving given then. So just a couple things that are, you know, the highlights of our nation's history. Theodore Roosevelt, then he would later reaffirm Thanksgiving. And then, like I said, it was FDR in, oh, actually 1939. I think I said 1940s earlier. FDR in 1939 moved Thanksgiving Day up one week earlier to appease the merchants and, and those who wanted to have more, you know, for pre-Christmas consumer stuff. So if, if you think that it's your, it just seems like there's an over commercialization of Christmas, I think there's actually some actual strategy behind that. So 
now we do see that Thanksgiving, Christmas kind of all bleed together sometimes. And they do kind of feel like more of that commercialized, you know, yeah, make sure you're thankful, but kind of check the thankful box and move on. And I guess I just wanted to do this podcast and remind us of there's a little bit more to it than just that. You're going to have a blast. I hope you bust out some family puzzles and all that kind of fun stuff. But I hope you will reflect back on our nation's beginnings with Thanksgiving, where it came from, because it very much came from a biblical ideal of praising the God who is sovereign creator and acknowledging him. Like really, that's the, that's the very first part of all of those prayers or those proclamations is acknowledging God. It's in Psalm 113.4. It says, the Lord is high above all nation and has glory above the heavens. It's important to just straight off the bat, acknowledge that he is the one that is sovereign. He is the one that is high above all the nations. There's lots of Psalms that you could read and, and kind of put your own spin on as a prayer. And Psalm 67, I think is one of these, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power among all the nations, let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. That's a fantastic Thanksgiving praise, prayer, a reflection on who God is, who is gracious, and he is the one from whom all our blessings come from. You can take so many Psalms and and just pray those back to the Lord. Psalm 146, 5 says, Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed and who gives food for the hungry. I also love Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. It's been an interesting month or so, I think. We've talked a little about this a little bit on the podcast and there's just been, it's just been, I, I know a dark time, but if you're somebody who reads the Bible, who studies Bible prophecy, there's also been an element of, wow, we are really in, in amazing days where we're seeing God's plan come together. Kind of the scary, or I guess the, not in a, I guess I don't want to say that in a fearful way, but the, the side of that, that makes us apprehensive is because it's getting really real right now, right? It's all in our headlines and it does feel so dark. We're observing what the United States' posture is going to be towards Israel. And we know that scripture is very clear about this. It, it, we're, we're told that we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in Psalm 122. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It says, may they be secure who love you, peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. I will seek your good. Whose good is that? That is the peace of Jerusalem. Now we know ultimately when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we are praying for the return of Jesus when he rules and reigns from his city, which is Jerusalem. I hope that you aren't 
kind of head in the sand about what's going on because there's so much that's actually going on in the news that is actually in your Bible as well. And, and so I think it's important. And maybe this Thanksgiving, this is just an extra little reminder, a little bit of a shot in the arm to yes, pray for your leaders, pray for our, our legislators and our president and our, the people that are making decisions, the people that you may never know their names that are making major decisions, pray for them, pray for the end that they would be saved. You know, I mean, remember, ultimately, that's what we're praying for, that they would be saved and come to the knowledge of Christ. That's our, that's our biggest request. When we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, boy, part of that is when the last of the Gentiles has received the gospel, when, when that full account has happened and the Lord returns, only the Lord knows that day and that hour. But we need to be actively praying towards the peace of Jerusalem, the peace in our own country, even how can we take that? Can we do that where we can? Yes, we want to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem, like Psalm 122 says, but praying also that we can be at peace. It seems like that might be impossible in our current day, but maybe an adjustment on the view of peace, peace being those who are eternally secure and eternally saved. Those are the ones that it, all their situation might feel like it's falling apart underneath them but their soul is secure. That's really how we need to just kind of adjust our focus to an eternal mindset of focusing on the boldness that we need to have in speaking the gospel, especially in these days, but keeping that eternal perspective that while all this stuff feels dark, remember that the Lord calls us to be people who pray. So as we kind of think about Thanksgiving, as we maybe some reminders about our roots with Thanksgiving, I hope you'll kind of take a second and on Thanksgiving on this day that you will pause personally, maybe with your whole family and really spend some time in prayer, acknowledging the sovereign God, recognizing our sin, repenting of our sin, rend your hearts like Joel said, but then ultimately praising him for who he is and what he's done. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.